many parts of the world, the infrastructure and construction industries remain heavily influenced by 20th century standards and solutions, and the need to move beyond these has become even more pressing in light of COVID-19. A better way to procure, plan, and deliver infrastructure is required, one that prioritizes digital innovation, off-site manufacturing technologies, and a focus on whole-life asset performance. The way society engages with public infrastructure is changing, and both those procuring and delivering major programs must evolve with it. While this is a hot topic globally, Jacobs has produced a white paper in response to the UK government's significant infrastructure investment commitment, in which the company set out six areas where change can be achieved in a timely, targeted way. Funding, delivery, contracting, technical standards, data and digital, and capacity. I'm your host, Paul Teese, and in this episode of If When, we look at these issues on a global scale with Brian Harvey, Jacob's Global Vice President of Major Programs, and Donald Morrison, Jacob's Senior Vice President for Europe and Global Executive Sponsor of Digital Strategies. For more information on this topic, the white paper is available to download on jacobs.com backslash industry hyphen insights. Thank you, Brian and Donald, for joining me today. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you about uh, program delivery and the, the lessons that we have learned in the UK market, specifically uh, you know, during this time of, of great disruption. To start us off, Brian, I'd like to ask, you know, of the six areas where you believe change can be achieved in the UK market, which do you see as universals that can be applied irrespective of geography? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, I think um, one of the key universals that we've got, um, regardless of geography, is that we've got an incredibly um, fragmented um, industry, um, an industry that's made up of very big suppliers, um, smaller suppliers, contractors, consultants, and, and a whole myriad of different um, uh, arrangements in between. Um, and I think the, the biggest challenge, therefore, is, is bringing that community, though all of those fragmentation of industries together um, in, a, in a more collaborative way. And I think that's, that's the, the area where the UK is really focusing hard at the moment um, through um, the work of the Project 13 group um, linked to the Institution of Civil Engineers. Um, and um, that, that's being replicated. And, and there are parallel streams going elsewhere in the world as well. For example, in the US, it would be called um, Integrated Project Delivery. There's examples of alliances elsewhere in the world. So this collaboration theme seems to be building momentum and, and certainly reinforced through the construction playbook, which has just been released in the UK. Um, so for me, that's, that's the, one of the biggest challenges, fragmentation, because opportunity is, is collaboration. And the, the quicker we can start collaborating together, the quicker we can reduce waste within our industry and all those handover points and, and start to really drive an improvement in productivity that the whole industry is being challenged with at this moment in time. Mm, that's interesting. You know, and, I, and I'm seeing like more and more emphasis on, on what's being called the circular economy and, and driving waste out. And it's interesting that, you know, collaboration among players, you know, can be, it can be a key enabler there and in the work that, that y'all are looking to do, you know, Donald, you know, Brian mentions collaboration, right. And that is, 
you know, that's going to be a key to success here. What do you see are some of the barriers to collaboration among industry players and how might those barriers be overcome? Yeah, no, maybe just a few that would come immediately to mind, Paul, probably, you know, decades of inevitability in the, the, the sector in its broadest sense. And then maybe a couple that maybe transcend, you know, multiple sectors, things you know, across business, things like a lack of trust and protection of commercial interest. But I think, you know, the way to overcome these, as Brian's already said, is through much closer collaboration. I believe that, you know, a, a good idea, maybe, maybe a couple of years ago would have lasted a few months, but maybe in the world that we're now in, lasts maybe only a matter of weeks or days. And I actually think that, you know, as a sector, we need to look much more closely at perhaps threats outside our sector. You know, the biggest worry to my mind is, you know, maybe a not in kind competitor coming in um, and disrupting, um, you know, some of the that inevitability, that barrier that I talked about there. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got a really great opportunity to turn some of these barriers, if we have that the right vision, as we've set out in the paper, into real enablers for us, if we really take an acute focus on them and deal with them, um, you know, one at a time. Uh, you know, I'm really confident about the potential for change in the market. Hmm. Now, you know, with the UK market, and I've seen other surveys and studies that have, have looked at things like, you know, they've ranked like smart cities in the world and the deployment of emerging technologies and whatnot. And London is, is ranked number one in the world in terms of smart cities. And, you know, London is, it's a hub for artificial intelligence development in Europe. And I mean, it, it's a very resource rich geography. And it's, so there's a lot of advantages there. But Donald, are there specific learnings stemming from the, the concepts you know, that are mentioned in the, in the white paper that in the UK that other geographies might learn from that may not, you know, for instance, have quite the, the resources at hand that the UK does, but they could still uh, learn from and deploy in, in their own local geographies? Yeah, that's no, a great question. Paul, and one that we could probably talk about almost all day. And it's, you know, certainly from my perspective, I, I do recognize that the UK is a, is a mature market. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think there's a really great opportunity, but probably also a risk that we absolutely need to unlock the potential of digital as that pertains to, to, to the market. And then, you know, I would want to be clear on how we would define digital. I think it's too easy to quickly just to jump to a, a, a definition of digital that centers maybe just on technology and data. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from a, from a Jacobs perspective, and I know a number of other organizations, both within our markets that we face and out with, you know, have a much broader definition, which is where I would kind of settle that digital is actually about culture, ways of working, business models and yes it does include technology and data mm -hmm. but I think that is really you know kind of fundamental that we look at that and I heard it said perhaps just recently you know if we have data as one example of, as a part of data let's let's use data but all, if all we have is opinions let's use mine mm -hmm. and I think that presents almost a unique opportunity because I think for years you know I talked about the inevitability that we've seen um, and how we reach our infrastructure decisions. Um, I think 
we need to just get into a much more agile approach. And, you know, I think it's got to be transformative cultural change. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like a good analogy. And I think one of the analogies that I've heard used here is that the, the impact of digital on so many sectors at the moment almost has to be as bold or as impactful as the change from steam power to electricity in the 19th century. And at that point, it didn't just change where factories, it, how factories powered their machines. It allowed companies to totally reconfigure their approach, to relocate into new geographies, um, and it allowed new competitors to emerge. So I think just as the factory owners of the 19th century discovered, it's not simply about flicking some sort of digital switch and swapping from one power source to another. Mm -hmm. It's about reimagining, um, you know, companies and industries, but starting with that, you know, desire um, for transformative cultural change. Now, Brian, Donald mentioned infrastructure. And so I want to kind of talk about infrastructure challenges, especially in light of COVID-19. So uh, I'm going to ask you both, but I'll start with you, Brian. You know, what are some of the infrastructure challenges and needs that COVID-19 uncovered that need to be addressed and which, in your view, necessitated a strategic plan for better program management? Yeah, really, really, COVID's really tested our um, resilience, our, our resilience to to respond to those those very unpredictable, those those very high risk but very low likelihood um, type events. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for me, the, the areas of the industry which have been most resilient are those that are least dependent on labor, be it in the construction activity or in the, the design activity. So really those areas of the industry which are uh, more forward thinking into automated processes and, and the more connected ways um, of working. Um, so taking that into the program management space, um, that, that's very much the, the way we, we tend to operate in program management. And in program management, where we're dealing with such complex situations, um, invariably looking to deliver client outcomes or a solution type outcome, um, that, that we really need to unlock the innovation across many, many teams. And to do that, we need um, some digital platforms um, invariably driving a single source of truth approach, um, which, which really empower all our teams, wherever they happen to be sat in the world, um, with, with that, that singular knowledge that what they're doing is aligned with that, that greater vision and that, that greater uh, focus on, on the outcomes. So I, so I think really the, the, the COVID situation um, has not only tested that resilience, but it's reinforced um, the importance of those those digital platforms, those single source of truth platforms, um, which, which enable us to, to respond quickly and, and with agility to, to whatever the situation um, develops, um, either now or into the future. Um, but certainly that's an area I think we can all learn from, we're gonna continue learning from in the coming months and years, um, because I think it's, it's started to show us what true productivity improvements um, are possible um, with this new way of thinking. Mm. And it, it seems like COVID has really kind of underscored or even accelerated that drive for automation, that, that the disruption of automation that, you know, many industries were already kind of seeing, uh, you know, pushes for efficiencies and, and whatnot. And, you know, now with, with COVID, it's really kind of seemed to amp that up. You know, so Donald, you know, kind of taking up on, on that thread, Brian's saying about the, the, the role of digital platforms to help 
underpin and address some of those infrastructure challenges. What do you see are the infrastructure challenges that are being need to be addressed and that this you know, strategic plan is situated for? Yeah, I think perhaps the biggest one, Paul, is actually agility. And it's perhaps something not that, that, that infrastructure planning isn't all that well known for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe if I give one example of that, you know, agility in trans, transit planning to handle the, the new work patterns that we're maybe going to have in a post-COVID world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a, a, a phrase I often used even in a pre-COVID um, was the rate of change will never be this slow again. And that personally really excites me as an individual. And, you know, I know it excites a lot of our staff and Jacobs. For some individuals, they will see that as a threat. But I think it's a really great opportunity. And if you actually look at, um, you know, how Jacobs and a number of other businesses have performed over the last 10 months, you know, we've we've absolutely, um, you know, as Winston Churchill said, we've not wasted a good crisis. Mm. Um, I think if we deliberately set out, you know, to drive change at the rate that we have, in a really structured way over a two year period, we wouldn't achieve what we've achieved in the last 10 months. So I think for those reasons, and I think it's shown an agility and a a resilience and an imperative for change um, within our organization. And I think that sets a really good foundation for increasing that rate of change for the right reasons uh, as we move uh, move into the future. And Brian, so there there are six areas of change uh, that are explored in the uh, in the white paper: funding, delivery, contracting, technical standards, data, and digital and capacity. Which one seems to be to you the area of greatest challenge, and is this consistent in different markets across the globe? And if not, where is this different, and why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, before I go directly on answering that, so just to sort of just set set the context here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with with climate change, with the uh, the the growth of the global population, uh, with with asset deterioration in some sectors um, and and some geographies, you know, the, the the challenges of infrastructure, the, the challenges we're trying to solve are, are probably greater than we've ever ever imagined in the past, and, and therefore. What we're suggesting in the in the white paper is that we need to start thinking beyond those those approaches that we we thought appropriate and, and in some areas still think are appropriate in solving some of those infrastructure challenges. So we really need to to test the boundaries, and and I think the 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 most common and, and probably the greatest challenge in all of this, uh, as, as Donald alluded to, with with regard to digital, is is the cultural the mindset change. We, we need to prepare ourselves for new ways of looking at things and new ways of approaching some of these these greatest challenges so in the past we might have been dependent on a single source of funding but very often now that single source of funding can't afford that that total infrastructure solution so how about blending those different sources of infrastructure funding together so that we can achieve something much more powerful and something that's much more aligned with the the social needs of um, the, the local communities Maybe we could um, look, as, a, as, a, as I mentioned earlier, around collaboration, to try and break down some of those barriers. In, in other areas, we're, we're trying to unlock new technologies, for example, graphene or these new materials, um, and, and um, using standards which were developed in the 70s or so, it's very difficult to bring in those new technologies into, into mass um, infrastructure 
um, solutions. So there's a whole range of things here, and each each challenge will vary per geography, um, depending on the particular um, labour market, the, the construction techniques. We're all on a different journey, but uh, but I think the exciting thing now is, um, and this and this is probably being experienced in some geographies, if not a number of geographies around the world, is that there there is absolutely a better way of um, doing things and an increased potential, um, therefore, on how we can deliver into, into the future. Um, and I think that's the exciting thing now is, is we're not, not just talking in theory any longer, we're talking in reality. And it's just a matter of time now before that, that journey becomes appropriate for everyone, um, regardless of where they are in the world. Mm. So you've, you've kind of touched on on differences across the globe and across geographies are, are really going to be, I think, uh, influenced by a number of factors. Uh, but of those six, you know, funding and delivery and et cetera, which one do you think presents the greatest near-term opportunity to achieve efficiencies, savings, and other benefits? And realizing that again the geographies are going to vary is there like a consensus where you know one of these might be by and large the one that presents the greatest opportunity globally Mm -hmm. yeah i think the 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 one for me is the speed of delivery that's that's the that's the objective we're trying to achieve because not only does that then reduce the cost of it of Mm -hmm. of the infrastructure it also increases the the speed in which we can realize the benefits of that infrastructure. So if we can reduce the, the, the length of time it takes to deliver infrastructure, then we win on the cost side and we win on the benefit side. And in some markets, um, the, the more mature markets will be unlocking the offsite manufacturing um, assembly style approaches, just in time logistics of, of getting material and, and, and kit to, to site. Mm-hmm. Um, in other geographies though, which don't have that, that inbuilt capability, um, there, there are still some techniques that can be can be transferred, perhaps in the um, in the speed of which we can get through the development phases. Um, but you know, the way we can get through the business cases, through the investment cases, much more quickly. Um, and and to do that, uh, we we've got to um, really start unlocking the uh, the power of digital and and the global communities, which can can really engage in in the truly global um, sense um, in in global delivery. Hmm, okay. And then what are the what are the market sector and cross-sector approaches and what are the benefits of shifting from a market sectoral approach to a cross-sector approach? I think the, the big advantage here is that in recent years, um, we've tended to focus of a or on a, a road, a, a railway, and a water system, each each in their own individual right. And, and whilst that's that's great for achieving efficiency in that particular sector, it's limited the benefits we could d- deliver to just that sector. So the, the benefits we we're trying to unlock or the outcomes we we're trying to unlock were simply a, a better roadway or a better railway or a better water supply system. Now, if we start thinking cross-sector, surely we can start um, a much more um, additive way of, of leveraging the the benefits or the outcomes um, beyond a single sector. So we look at not just those individual bits of infrastructure development, but all those connecting points, all those interface points, which which bring challenge, um, but they also bring opportunity to to unlock wider development. So we don't just end up with, say, a road, a railway, or water system. We end up with a completely new community, um, a completely new 
um, city, uh, for want of a better word, a completely new environment for, for people to enjoy, um, to work in, to live in, um, and to, to travel across um, in the future. Something that's completely reimagined, something we couldn't imagine um, in the 50s or the 60s when a lot of the infrastructure of the world really started taking shape. And so, Donald, this, this question's for you. You know, the paper notes that the construction and infrastructure industries remain heavily influenced by 20th century needs. And, and Brian touched on that, you know, a bit here. You know, so influenced by the needs, standards, and solutions from the 20th century, and that progress is long overdue. You know, what do you think are the greatest barriers that have prevented these industries from moving with the times to date? Yeah, no, I, Probably we, we maybe started to sound a bit like a stuck record in some of these, but I think this idea of just the whole inevitability, I think we have got great legacy, mm -hmm. um, you know, across a number of the key geographies in which we operate. But I don't think as an industry we've moved quickly enough if you compare our progress compared to a number of other industries, emerging industries and ones that have been, you know, significantly disrupted. Um, I won't bother naming any of them here, but there's, there's just so many of them that we all probably experience in our lives each day. And I think we need that transformative cultural change, you know, and that's certainly something I can, I can see that we're on an exponentially positive trajectory on within Jacobs um, at the moment, so that we've got those transformative new ways of working that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. I think like Brian mentioned also, um, you know, I think, you know, one of the barriers is just the kind of siloed or stovepipe approach that we often take within markets. And I think there's a great opportunity around cross-functional or cross-market uh, adjacencies. And I think, as we've said in the paper, you know, above all, I think the most important thing we can do is actually create that environment where people are constantly striving for the better way and are always starting by asking, why are we doing it this way? And I think that will enable us to create long-term value. And I think, as I said earlier, that focus on outcome, you know, is the outcome to provide a, 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 a transit route between A and B, mm -hmm. or is it to create economic regeneration in, in, a, in a wider corridor? And I think you would get potentially two very different solutions if you asked a different question. Mm. And, you know, maybe a final point, I think, you know, what, what around one that's not often commented on is actually the, you know, it, it, infrastructure can be complex to consent, procure, design, deliver. Mm. But, you know, how do we start to think across political periods and, uh, you know, both, uh, you know, I think the majority of um, democracies in the globe have, you know, four or five year political tenure periods. And, you know, generally, it would be pretty incredible to deliver a major piece of infrastructure within a period. Mm -hmm. But how do we start to, you know, maybe take a more strategic approach to that planning where it's, you know, really focused on the value that infrastructure brings to economies? Because I think that's, you know, absolutely considered you know i don't think there's any debate about the impact of infrastructure and fueling economic growth mm -hmm. so then donald how has the way society engages with public infrastructure changed and what impact does this have on the future of major program delivery yeah no good great question paul and it's, it's probably like it's so many areas I, you know i think it has changed significantly you know mm -hmm. certainly over my number of years in, in the industry 
if I was scoring it out of 10, would it still get anywhere near 10? Probably not, because I, you know, despite the fact I'm an, I, I'm an optimist, I would always say there's room for improvement. Mm-hmm. So I would maybe give it a 6 out of 10 at the moment. I think we have moved from a position where people, the, the general public feel that infrastructure has done to them, where, where it's now, where they now perhaps feel it's been done for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's very generalistic, but I think we have changed the narrative with the public. But I think we can still do more to explain the why behind, you know, major infrastructure benefit, um, development and the benefits um, that that will bring long term to many, many individuals. And I think the drive and the focus that we've got on social value now as an organisation and as a wider industry is a real imperative there. And that really helps that, that narrative. Hmm. And then, Brian, the same question for you. How do you see that the way society engages with public infrastructure has changed? And how do you, what, do you, what impact do you think this has on the future of major program delivery? So I, th- I think there's been a, a stepped increase in the level of transparency um, around our, our infrastructure schemes now. Um, you know, there's much easier ways now of communicating with people, not, not just the town halls that we used to hold um, many a year ago, uh, explaining to communities what what a scheme involved. Now it's now there's total transparency uh, via the via the web and um, online consultations and the like. So there's a much stronger social connection with the schemes, the, the big schemes, the major program schemes that we're we're delivering. And with that comes increased challenge in some areas, and and rightly so. That people are much more aware now of their local environments and what what infrastructure will do, be it an improvement or a challenge to the local environment. So a lot more challenge there. And that's that's great to see because we're coming up with much stronger social value schemes. I'm also seeing um, many local businesses now wanting to get involved in, in infrastructure delivery. And the, it, so it's not, we're not just importing everything to a local community. We're really using the community to, to better that scheme and also deliver that scheme. Um, so there's a, there's a much stronger connection there now. Um, some brilliant schemes in um, in Scotland where, where you know, local schools, the local communities are, are learning and developing um, from, from the infrastructure we're, we're putting in place. So I, so I think for me, that's the, that's the, the big change which has come and, and, and will continue to, to drive going forward. And I think our industry will be better for it, that our communities will be stronger for it. And um, overall, um, our, um, our major programme delivery and we'll we'll take the step to the to the next level because of that challenge and that that drive for more. Excellent. Well, Brian and Donald, I, I want to thank you both joining for joining me today. I really learned a lot about like on where we're going in terms of program delivery uh, with a view toward infrastructure and using digital to enable that. Uh, you know, and like in so many ways, uh, the UK is leading here, and so it's interesting to see what the experience there has been and how it can help inform the situations on the ground elsewhere. So for our, our uh, audience, if you're interested to learn more, the, the team has produced a white paper, which is available to download in the industry insights section of jacobs.com. So Brian and Donald, thank you both so much for joining me today.